0: Hello SFIA Audio listeners, in this month's Nebula-exclusive, Giant Space Monsters, we'll take a look at what sorts of alien behemoths might be possible under known science. To hear it and every episode early and ad-free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash IsaacArthur and use my code IsaacArthur. This video is sponsored by CuriosityStream. Get access to my streaming video service, Nebula, When you sign up for CuriosityStream using the link in the description. We often worry about Earth getting overcrowded, but in truth it's not about how much space we've got but how much energy and resources we need for those people, and if we've got those, we might be able to support far more people than today and in far more comfort than now. We have a concept we discuss sometimes on the channel called an ecumenopolis, a planet-wide city, and these show up in fiction fairly often, and usually as capitals of vast interstellar empires, like Coruscant from Star Wars or Trantor from Asimov's Foundation series or Earth itself in the Warhammer 40k setting. They are also often depicted as having a trillion people on them or more. I thought today though we'd try to ask ourselves what it would take to have a trillion people on Earth, and what the Earth would look like if it did. The first and most critical point to hit though is that a trillion people, while more than a hundred times as many folks as are alive now, and indeed ten times as many people as have ever lived by most estimates, would not even begin to require a city that covered the whole planet. Earth has a surface area of approximately half a billion square kilometers, or 200 million square miles, about a quarter of which is land. If we assumed we paved over everything, from the deepest ocean to the frozen tundra, a trillion people would have a population density of just 2,000 people a square kilometer or 5,000 per square mile. That's hardly a small figure, but that's not even a fifth of the population density of New York City, which is not even the most densely populated city in the world, and while those not living there mostly know it for its skyscrapers, indeed few cities have more, they're only a tiny fraction of the buildings there and not where most folks live. Even if we didn't have any multi-story residences, even if we limited ourselves only to land and not sea, you'd still have 1400 square feet, or 133 square meters per person, hardly a cramped home for a single individual, or even a modest family. And again that's no second floor and no basements, let alone towering skyscrapers or vast artificial islands or seasteads. Now needless to say, that doesn't include any businesses or public buildings or roads, Nor gardens and parks, let alone farmland or nature preserves. People need food and raw materials, and an ecology of some sort, and energy for it all, and also some way to get rid of all the waste, which includes the main limiting factor, the heat left over from producing and using all that energy we'd need. We often worry about even supporting our current population of 7.7 billion, and that was a concern before I was even born in 1980, when the Earth's population was just 4.4 billion little more than half our current population. Indeed it was quite a concern even back in 1798, when the population was approximately one billion, a thousandth of what we'll contemplate supporting today, when Reverend Thomas Robert Malthus wrote his famous, or perhaps infamous, An Essay on the Principles of Population, which gave us the concept of Malthusianism and Malthusian Catastrophes. I should note that while I, and many others, are often terribly critical of Malthusianism, indeed I tend to use it as a curse word, it's no criticism of Malthus himself, who simply observed that growing populations need more food while farmland is a static value. Or essentially that finite resources can't support eternal growth, thus eventually requiring you either limit your population or suffer catastrophe and hardship as people begin starving and the likely chaos that ensues. And the point is an entirely valid one. Those of us who object to it generally are doing so in a short-term sense of improving technology letting us get more food and production from less land or material or energy. Whether or not our population growth will continue to the point that we even need to house a trillion people on Earth, or if there is some maximum limit to how many people we can support, our objective today is to show that we could house this many on Earth and present what sort of technologies might be needed. Fundamentally you need a lot of energy, because with enough energy you can deal with all the other problems like food, every problem except getting rid of heat, and we'll return to that point in a bit. You obviously can't run a civilization much larger than our current one off fossil fuels, but we do have the option of nuclear fission or orbital solar power. The thing is you need a lot more energy to support a trillion people than simply what you use nowadays times a hundred or so. Hidden in the background of all our energy budgets is the massive free supply we get from the Sun, our hidden solar economy that long predates the invention of solar power. At any given moment the Sun is shining down on Earth approximately 200,000 trillion watts of energy, which either gets reflected or gets absorbed and later re-emitted as infrared waste heat. Only a small portion of that absorption is into photosynthetic plants and organisms, essentially the foundation of our ecosystem and food chains. Approximately 98-99% to of the photons reaching us never get involved in photosynthesis, being absorbed by other things, reflected away, or just not being frequencies plants use for photosynthesis. We also don't use the majority of energy converted this way for human food either, and even more of it gets lost to biological middlemen between the sun hitting a plant and something hitting your dinner table. Humans only need about 100 watts apiece of food energy to live which would be 100 trillion watts for a trillion people. Whereas even if we assumed that only 1% of light was used in photosynthesis, that would leave 2000 trillion watts. Humans would only have to achieve 5% efficiency on using that foundational biomass that itself is only at 1% efficiency to feed a trillion people. So yes, we probably could switch over to hyper-efficient plant varieties grown inside greenhouses with high internal reflectivity to feed those trillion people while probably still keeping a large portion of the Earth's surface as ecological preserves, especially if we were supplementing those preserves with food we'd grown to help ensure biodiversity and long food chain species remain plentiful. Needless to say, switching over our own diets to vat-grown genetically modified superalgae or switching our bodies over to be cybernetic, or our minds uploaded digitally to run on computers would also potentially allow a trillion or more people. However, we'll mostly bypass those options for today, especially as these cybernetic or mind-uploading technologies do not yet exist and also could only exist in tandem with other technologies that also permit far more people. As an example, if you can upload a human mind to a computer, it means you already have the capacity to make robots more than smart enough to be doing a lot of work with little guidance up in space, which unlocks options like power satellites and space farms and obviously orbital habitats and planetary colonization too. Similarly, if everybody's gone cyborg to the degree that they need little or no food, then they can cheerfully live off Earth too, without even needing any habitats like the O'Neill Cylinder that we often discuss as future homes for humanity. Our goal today is not specifically to see how we can house a trillion people on Earth with minimum technology, but we will be trying to keep to the lower tech and nearer term solutions, if you've seen our Matrioska Worlds episode then you already know that yes, you can rather easily cram many trillions of people on Earth with a few core technologies, and they wouldn't feel very cramped at all, so we're trying to limit ourselves mostly to near tech. However, it is worth keeping in mind that even if we were growing at 20th century levels, quadrupling every century or doubling every 50 years, we'd still need 7 doublings or about 350 years to get to a trillion people, and honestly such growth rates would probably only occur in a civilization that had biological immortality or close to it, or one that had banned birth control or really put a cultural focus on having as many kids as you can, which is certainly possible but would generally be the opposite direction of where we've been headed in recent generations. It is worth remembering though that much if not most of our declining growth rates are from a drop in accidental or unintended births and folks starting families later and or keeping them smaller. If you suddenly can extend human lifespans and fertility spans, and if there was not a perceived need to watch our population numbers, that trend could flip right back the other way and then some. A civilization where folks can live centuries, while being biologically 20 or 30 something and with no pressing worries about food supply or ecological ruin, is one that can grow a lot faster than doubling every 50 years, and probably would. People like kids, and a pretty big chunk of the population would cheerfully have another one every few years indefinitely if they were economically and medically able to do so, and had no worries about a Malthusian catastrophe. So while I personally doubt we'll hit a trillion people within a mere 350 years, by 2370 AD, either all on Earth or with some or most in space, it is possible and could happen even sooner than that. Key notion though, if we're discussing near technologies, is that 350 years is a long time to discover these, and in general, we'd only need one or two of them out of several that would do the trick for allowing that many people. And most all technologies I'd honestly be surprised if we didn't have by the end of this century. This would seem especially true if we have many times our current population to throw at scientific research and technological advancement. For a civilization on the rise, the number of scientists and specialists in general that you have rises faster than your population does, with the caveat that if we grew too fast, we might downward spiral into a Malthusian catastrophe, though probably to no one's surprise I doubt the former will happen and very strongly disagree with the notion that we're already in one. But that's not the topic of this episode so we'll list that as an opinion and bypass it for now. Short form, if you've got more people and they're not all busy trying to achieve basic survival or cannibalize each other, you've got way more scientists working on cracking these technologies. So what are these technologies? Well, there are plenty, but the three big general types would be improved automation, enhanced biological knowledge and manipulation, and superior and renewable energy. Each of these has multiple avenues of development and each could achieve our goal, a trillion people on Earth and in a sustainable way, either by themselves or in tandem with the others. On the improved automation front first, if your robots are really good it utterly alters your economy even if that's your only new technology. Almost everything gets cheaper, which includes building stuff like solar panels, batteries, greenhouses for food, the robots that plant, tend, and harvest that food, and very large structures for folks to live in. There are all sorts of pathways available to us that aren't economical right now, but way more productive and efficient if your simple labor tasks are being done by robots. We have a lot of crops we don't grow much because they are labor intensive, even though they produce more calories per acre than most of our staple cereal crops. We also grow stuff under an open sky because glass or polycarbonate greenhouses are quite expensive to build and maintain, but such structures produce an order of magnitude more food per unit of land area. And use far less fresh water and nutrients and those climate-controlled facilities are also less susceptible to disease and disrupting the local ecology, or being disrupted by it, such as via a swarm of locusts. If your robots are making the glass, doing most of the construction and maintenance, and tending and picking all the food inside, not only do you have a huge boost in food production, but you've got way more folks available to be working on new technologies too. Such robots hardly have to be brilliant either, barely insect level. Improvements in biological sciences, our second avenue, could potentially achieve the same thing, hacking plants to be more efficient, perhaps also hacking animals to farm the plants. It sounds rather less science than science fiction to imagine critters tending our crops or modified organisms growing greenhouses like they grow shells or coal, but maybe not that big a jump either nor would hacking plants to be able to maximize their use of sunlight, potentially growing various simple organisms that we could process and print into whatever food we felt like, or at least a facsimile, good enough to pass the taste and texture test. Not that it necessarily has to, while food is a great source of pleasure and we're all glad for the diversity that modern agriculture and transport permit us, most of human history did not allow for particularly diverse diets. And much of our culinary arts were about how to make tasty or at least edible food that was mostly made of whatever the local main staple crop was, so I'm quite sure we could find a way to make even some gene-hacked algae types more palatable than what most of our ancestors not only lived on but were grateful for. I hate to call us spoiled, and certainly hope our own descendants will regard us as having suffered great hardship compared to them, but our ancestors certainly had it rougher, and the episode is not titled, Can We Have a Trillion People Living in Utopia? Now the third big one is just energy. If you've got a cheap renewable power supply, you can just flat out grow all your food under artificial lighting. But that power supply can't just be cheap and renewable, it needs to be abundant too. Fusion is obviously one option, though shouldn't be regarded as some magic wand of ultra-cheap energy. And indeed as we mentioned in power satellites, it's actually not your best way of maximizing how much electricity you can have on Earth. A fusion plant, by default, like any other power plant, is going to be producing a big chunk of its energy as waste heat, and we can only get rid of so much heat without building some of the more over-the-top megastructures like we looked at in Matrioska Worlds. Alternatively, microwave power transmission from space-based solar removes that problem, Ground-based microwave antennas, Rectennas, convert microwaves into electricity at 80-85% to efficiency, way better than you'll get out of any power generation system that relies on boiling water to turn a turbine. It can also be beamed pretty much to where it's being used, cutting down on transmission loss to heat, which gets a big chunk of our current electricity, and it's all off-earth so heat created in converting sunlight to microwaves can be mostly disregarded. You can also be throwing solar shades, or mirrors, up around the planet or at our L1 Lagrange point that are transparent to visible lights but not infrared, which really has no value to our planet besides keeping it warm. Needless to say, if you've got robots, you can do this mass construction project rather easily and based off the moon. It requires no new tech, besides those robots. And not really very much, considering the majority of the work is basically smelting and rolling mirrors, not exactly a process that's hard to automate. Now suddenly you could be dumping in several thousand trillion watts of electricity into your power grid without overheating the planet, and of course it's fundamentally solar so it's quite renewable. This one works great in tandem with improved automation because it lets you do multi-story, climate-controlled, artificially lit food production mostly built and run by those robots. This also really only requires software improvements, not any vast leaps in physics or chemistry, If you've got a climate-controlled multi-level warehouse with reflective walls and ceilings and LED light calibrated to just the right quantity and spectrum for maximizing photosynthesis of a given crop, with most of the grunt work of maintenance and construction being automated, you've got a massive farm with a very minimal footprint. Indeed you can potentially have skyscrapers hundreds of stories high that on the inside all look like suburban housing and hydroponic lands and farm field, or even forests. That's more or less the notion we looked at in Arcology some years back, and as we noted in its companion video, Ecumenopolises, going this route lets you get away with cramming your entire population into giant buildings while leaving 99% of our planet's surface entirely wild if you wanted to, and with a trillion people, rather than the usual bleak look of Ecumenopolises, planet-wide cities in science fiction, where the whole planet is nothing but metal and concrete. Now that's not to say that you would do it that way and each of these potential technologies would likely result in a very different setup, and even more if in combination with just one other. As an example, if you've gotten ultra-strong, cheap, and durable construction materials, you can do a lot of this multi-level growth and housing without even needing better automation, because building them is a big investment of time and money, but they don't really require much maintenance once built, unlike modern structures. Similarly, if you're content to do space-based farming, And have built orbital rings for mass conveyance of material on and off Earth, you don't need to grow any food on Earth and can just ship it down. Again our big issue in terms of land is food production, not housing or any of our other buildings, and if we're just talking housing and other such facilities, you could cram a trillion people into large skyscrapers with lavishly spacious apartments and not even use a percent of our land surface, or even into subterranean facilities and not even see human civilization on the surface except where the tethers from the orbital rings carrying cargo and power entered into them. Of course it's not just technology that would control the setup, but the tastes and preferences and specific economics, all of which are pretty unpredictable and probably rather fluid and variable from culture to culture, so you'd presumably see a mix of options in use, even if one of them was working better. Note that not all of these options involve utilizing space, rather than just sticking to Earth, but most do and it does raise the question of why you would have a trillion people on Earth, especially since most of these setups also imply you could be doing a lot of the other options we've looked at, such as O'Neill cylinders or terraforming other worlds, where folks might prefer to make their homes. Ultimately though, for our original question, can you have a trillion people on Earth? The answer would seem to not only be yes, but yes, and probably much more comfortably than we live now, and without having to pave over everything to live in some barren world of concrete, metal, and smog. And while to do this probably does require a fair amount of technological advancement, even if we see a spike in population growth, we should still have a few centuries to make those advancements and work out the details. So yes, we probably can have a trillion people on Earth one day, but it's probably not something we need to be rushing to do anytime soon. One thing we didn't discuss too much today is how you'd handle all the waste that some ecumenopolis of trillions of people might generate, everything from regular garbage to waste heat, and we discussed that in our episode The Future of Garbage, which is out now for early release on Nebula, along with Conscious Stellar Objects, which contemplates both how life might originate, naturally or artificially, in or around stars, and our Nebula-exclusive series, Coexistence with Aliens. Nebula, our new subscription streaming service, was made as a way for education-focused, independent creators to try out new content that might not work too well on YouTube, where algorithms might not be too kind to some topics or demonetize certain ones entirely, or just doesn't fit our usual content. If you'd like to get free access to it, it does come as a free bonus with a subscription to Curiosity Stream, which also has thousands of amazing documentaries you can watch on top of Nebula exclusive content from myself and many other creators like CGP Grey, Minute Physics, and Wendover. A year of Curiosity Stream is just $19.99 and it gets you access to thousands of documentaries as well as complimentary access to Nebula for as long as you're a subscriber and use the link in this episode's description. CuriosityStream.com slash Isaac Oliver. This Thursday we'll return to the Foamy Paradox series to contemplate the scenario where civilizations exist and are talking but we just can't hear them in The Fermi Paradox Whispers in the Night. The week after that we'll be teaming up with our friends over at What If to consider what if life emerged on low-gravity planets, and then we'll close the month out with our monthly livestream Q&A on Sunday, March 29th. If you want alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to subscribe to the channel, and if you'd like to help support future episodes, you can donate to us on Patreon, which is linked in the episode description below, along with all of our various social media forums where you can get updates and chat with others about the concepts in the episodes and many other futuristic ideas. Until next time, thanks for watching, and we'll see you Thursday.